What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 178 of The VK Bros with a very hot, sweaty, disgusting Jason and Alex Von Cannell. We are coming at you on Friday, the 29th of December, uh, post the week that was the Christmas Day tornado from nowhere. Yeah. But we're here, we're queer, and get used, get to, used it, to it, and we're going to tell you all about it. What's going on, well, Alex? First, first of all, can I just say to everyone that has been watching us this year, or last, this will be last year, right, when it comes this comes out? Yes, it will. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to make a sort of New Year's resolution, because I've been, I've been doing a, a, a bit of research into podcasting, mm-hmm. and apparently if you don't ask for subscribers, you don't get them. Right. So we need to ask for subscribers. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're not subscribed, and we know there's like, what have we got? 19 subscribers. Yeah. But we get like 150 to 200 views a week. So- I I know where, from a lot of the feedback that I've received, it's a lot of people who click the show links off our socials who don't have a Rumble account because we're the only thing they watch. So to those people, what I would say is please support the platform that supports free speech, which is Rumble and is X. Uh, If you don't have a Rumble account, please make one and subscribe. That'll help us. But it also, more importantly, it helps free speech because, you know, it is the end of 2023. Well, as you said, when, when this episode drops, it'll be the start of 2024. We've been through a lot this year. We've been through a lot in the last few years. But together, I feel like we have learnt a lot. We've kept each other safe to a degree with the amount of information we've been able to share. And I don't just mean you and I sharing information on this podcast that then goes out to uh, to the audience. It's like you guys send us a lot of information as well. And we really appreciate that because quite often, like, you know, it's hard to keep track of every single one of these stories and where they might be leading to. And we also don't have expertise in every area. But a lot of you guys have really delved into areas that we haven't. And then you send us information and run us through it all. And we really appreciate that. So thank you very and much also, for, for uh, yeah, all mean, your efforts in 2023. We had a lot of people reach out to us about what we spoke about in the last episode, mm. that AI not giving us, like, censoring, literally censoring information that is freely available anywhere else on the internet yeah like we can't have these guys like no. we can't we can't operate in a world where computers are going to decide what we can and can't know that's right because it's wrong like the stuff that they you know if if the encyclopedia britannica was uh filled filled with mal and misinformation you would never you know you'd never go to the library you never that's right. you'd never check it yeah but you know that that information still holds up but this garbage that's coming through ai uh and and the stuff that's being filtered through all these major tech companies in america yeah like we need to have a different outlet yeah and just to put the business case around it too like Obviously, if you are watching this on Rumble, Rumble is a a free speech platform. They support free speech. The only way they can keep going is if they get enough investors who think that there is enough of a business upside in that platform uh, to continue investing in the company. So the the least you could do is just give yourself a free Rumble account so they have another active user and subscribe to the channel, help us out. 
give us a like, thumbs up, share a comment below, all that uh, usual stuff that everyone else already asks for. But let's start today. We got, we've got a couple of things uh, that we're going to get to later in the show, uh, which are just follow-ons uh, about uh, vaccine-related issues that more and more information is starting to come out, which we will go through and share with you. But I really wanted to start this week, uh, this week's episode by talking about the literal tornado which hit the Gold Coast uh, and surrounding areas on Christmas evening. It, if I can pull up a picture of it, I have got a picture. Oh, of you got a picture there? Awesome. Uh, no, wait, uh, you keep going because I've got to find... Yeah, so just to, just to paint a bit of a picture for you. So um, I live on the Gold Coast in Helensvale, which is one of the worst areas that was hit. Uh, but my wife and kids and I were up on Tambourine Mountain, which is where mine and Alex's parents live, and we were there for Christmas. And just to paint the picture for you, uh, at about roughly about 8 o'clock in the evening, we had decided it was time to go home. It's already past the kids' bedtime. So I had started doing the trek to and from the cars. We had both cars up with us to uh, put all the stuff, presents and everything like that in the car. Just throw it in the car. And as I've taken them out, I've been watching in the distance because you could see lightning flashing well over the back of the mountain in the distance. But it, it caught my eye because it was really... Oh, cool. Here's, here's the picture now. Wow. Okay. Now, this is... I think this was from someone's, like, ring cam. Right. It was really, really low quality. Yeah, yeah. But you can clearly see, like, that that formation of a tornado. Yeah, that cone shape. So Yeah, because the, the news still is not talking about... Uh, it has not calling it a tornado. Yeah, and, you know, like, put your tinfoil hat on as to why, but we'll, we'll get to some of those reasons later. But, yeah, so... I, the main thing that caught my eye was how often the flickering of the lightning was. It was just constant. It was just flash, yeah. flash, 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 flash. It looked like you're in a, a rave club playing Sandstorm by Darude, you know, back in the good old clubbing days. Mm. But so anyway, every time I, I did three trips to and from the car and every trip that I did, the lightning was closer and more severe. And I said to my wife, I said, we have to go now. Like we got to leave because I know the roads really well. She knows them okay, but I know what storms are like on the mountain and this one looks super intense. So I'm like, we've got to go. So we threw the kids in the car, drove down the mountain. So to get from Tambourine Mountain to Helensvale... Is what a, time did you leave? Just after eight o'clock. Some, sometime yeah. between eight and 8.30, I think it was that we left. I can't remember the exact time. But um, so yeah, to get from Tambourine Mountain to Helensvale, it's a, for anyone who doesn't know the area, it's a very windy mountain road. No streetlights. Uh, yeah, no streetlights. Uh, a lot of people who aren't comfortable drivers drive off the side of it in good weather in the daytime. So we, we, we left and we could just see the storm was like behind us the whole way down the mountain. So we took our time. We got home. Everything was fine and got home, dragged the kids out of the car. They were asleep, put them to bed. About five minutes after we well, got before, home. Before you, before you go to the next part, yep. I was on the road at the same time. So I was at a different place that night. Yeah. on Tambourine Mountain and the catalyst for us to leave was someone had sent a message that wasn't at the party to his wife that was at this party saying hey check the Bureau of Meteorology page there's a massive front coming in Yeah, you gotta go so I pulled it up on my phone and I've never seen it as red as what this was Yeah, because I, I talked about my golden shower joke Yeah, couldn't make it because it was red yeah and we could see the lightning, like you're saying, just flickering over and over again. So I left at quarter past eight. Right. I'm driving down the mountain, went the same way that you went. Yep. And 
the I've never seen lightning that sprayed across the sky, mm. but every two seconds, yeah, bang, bang, yeah. bang, and um, uh, so you okay? So go back to where you got home, right? So so we've gotten home, dropped the kids in the bed, and literally somewhere between five and ten minutes after we got home, but it felt very sudden, our house just got smashed. So the the winds picked up, super strong winds, and we've now seen the reports that you've had wind gusts of up to 200 kilometers an hour that have been recorded. Um, and again, you're still not really thinking anything of it at the time. You're just like, oh, it's just wind, it's just water, a bit of rain, you know, it's a storm, whatever. But then you start hearing the stuff banging out the back. Uh, I had a friend of mine uh, text me about half hour into the storm who lives around the corner and she was like, how are you guys going? Uh, are you all right? Because we'd all lost power at about this point. So I think this must have been around 9.30ish maybe, 9.30, 10 o'clock. No, it was o'clock. 9 o'clock. Okay. I know, I know exactly what it was, 9 o'clock. Okay, there you go. So she texts us saying, hey, are you guys okay? And I just messaged back saying, yeah, yeah, we're, we're all good. Uh, like, And just after I sent the message... I could hear a, a trickling water sound. I'm like, what is that sound? And I had water starting to come through the roof in the kitchen because of just the sheer amount of water that was falling out of the sky. I think it was going sideways and up underneath the um, roof tiles and just coming straight down through the roof into the kitchen. Not, not major, and it did stop fairly quickly after it started, but obviously that water just needed somewhere to go. And obviously power's out... Uh, just was a very very strong storm the strongest storm i've ever experienced in in helensvale and before i continue on to the after effect i'll let you yeah so what funny you say about the drive so tasha and i were in separate cars too because tasha's mom doesn't want to drop like she refuses to drive at night on Tenry mountain so Mm -hmm. she drove her car down and i drove tasha's car down and i'm like we've got to move we 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 swapped cars at uh the Oxenford, like where Super Butcher is. Yeah, yeah. Now, subsequently, we saw photos of that. It's been flattened. Yeah. Like the whole car park's been flattened. Tree, trees are falling. We were there at probably, that would have been 8.35. Yep. Then I get on the highway, we're going to Brisbane, and we hit a wall of water at probably Logan, mm-hmm. and the speeds on the highway went from sort of 110 to about 80 k's an hour. Yep. And like, you could not see the cat's eyes on the road. Like it was that yeah. heavy. The rams are heavy. Now, by the time we got through Springwood, the wind had picked up and the car was moving mm-hmm. on the highway. But that, not too bad. We get into like onto Coronation Drive, like uh, right in the city. Yep. And we, we pulled it home. And then I got a text from my mate who lives in Oxford. And he's like, the picture is no lights on. Yep. And his whole fence and retaining wall just gone. Yep. Yeah, and he said I've never seen anything like it. Uh, and then I didn't hear from him again. Now we just got rain, so we were okay up here. Yep. But I went down the next day to have a look. Now we grew up on Tambourine Mountain. We've seen heaps and heaps of storms. Tambourine Mountain always gets like really tropical storms, mm-hmm. where like you know, fog, you can't see past the bonnet of your car. Yeah. Really heavy rain, lots of thunder, lots of lightning, lots of trees down, lots of power outages. We're used to that. Yep. I've never seen anything like it. Yep. I've never seen anything. Now, the, the crazy thing to me is seeing these big, fat gum trees snapped in half halfway right. up the trunk. 
Yeah. So what usually happens is the water, the ground gets so filled with water that the the ground turns to mush. Yeah. And the wind just pushes the trees over. Yeah. So that they tr- the trees just uproot and just fall over. Sort yeah. Of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that as well, mm. but the footage I've seen in the just driving through there, seeing them literally snapped and hanging halfway up in the sky. Yeah. Is crazy. Yeah. And yeah. also, when I was driving through Oxford, what I really noticed, and I hadn't heard the twister thing by this point. No. Uh, I, when I was driving in, I said to Tasha, like, look, it's, it's like directed. So the how all these houses all have roof damage. Yeah. But one across the road, nothing. Mm. Across this side of the road, nothing. Like a bit of tree foliage, you know, yeah. over, but nothing bad. On the right-hand side of the road, all the fences pushed over, mm. all these roofs pulled up, and you can see like a pathway of where it went through. Yeah, and that's when we'd heard well Higgins storm chasing put a thing up saying that they have they they're in no doubt that it got hit. It was a tornado. It mm. formed a tornado, and it was only concentrated basically on was it Jimboomba, Upper Coomera, Tambourine Mountain, and um, Helensvale. And Helensvale. Yeah. 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 So that's now apparently we get heaps of them, but I've never ever ever seen one. I've no, never me neither. Me neither. Especially I've not never in seen the damage. I've so, never ever seen this kind of damage. So just to paint you the picture of of Boxing Day morning for us. So again, storm passed during the night, at some point, and and we've had power outages here sporadically uh, since we've moved into the house in Helensvale. But we we're also sort of thinking, oh, it'll be on pretty soon. Like you know, maybe three, four in the morning, the the power might be on again. So we're all asleep. I wake up in the morning and power's not on. I've got no cell phone coverage, which again on the Gold Coast is interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'll go out and just sort of start to try to like assess the damage. So I went out the back and I could see over my back fence that there was there's a big tree that's directly behind our back fence because we back onto the wetlands. That was fine. There's a tree right next to it which had snapped in half, like you were saying, at like the mid-range up to snapped off and had actually fallen through my next-door neighbour's back fence. And then we had a knock on the front door which was our neighbour from two houses up saying, hey, you're the only person I know who's got a chainsaw. Can we borrow your chainsaw because we've got a tree through our back fence too? So I went up to her place to have a look and I went around the back. And literally, both the house on either side of my house, both had trees through the back fence. She's two houses up. She had a tree through the back fence. And there was another one you could see about four or five houses up that also had a tree through the back fence. So it's at that point where I was like, this is really bad. Yeah. Um, so then obviously no, no cell phone reception. So my first thought was mum and dad, because obviously I, I had no, no reception. I, I didn't know what was going on. So... I jumped in the car and I went driving around, partially to charge my phone, partially just to try to find reception. And as I'm driving around, I can just see the devastation in Helensvale. And again, never seen anything like it. We're, we're relatively sheltered here. Like mm. we're far enough you get away. You a bit of flood. A little bit. storms. Yeah, exactly. And so driving down, the main sort of strip through Helensvale is a street called Discovery Drive. And... Basically, it's got two lanes separated by a median strip, and the median strip's just got gum trees the whole way down it. Big gum trees. Big gum trees. And it's like every tree is either snapped in half or fallen down or like just trees down absolutely everywhere. And so I finally get reception, and um, so I tried to call mum and dad, couldn't get through. 
uh, called my friend who lives around the corner to see how they were going and they were saying they were okay but their next door neighbour had about 40% of their roof ripped off uh, then I get a text message coming through from mum saying something along the lines of uh, we need your help ASAP so I'm freaking out Yeah. because I'm like I can't call them they've texted me saying they need help ASAP and I, I have no way of finding out what's going on or anything. I've just got to try to make it up the mountain. And so a few more things happen. I, I basically got onto my mother-in-law in Parkwood, found out that she still had power. So I actually drove half to her house just to make sure that Amanda would be able to get there with the kids, made sure there was a clear pathway. There was two of the main streets that we normally take were completely cut off by trees as well. So anyway, so got home, game planned out. Amanda was to take the kids to her mum's place and I was going to head up the mountain or at least attempt to try to head up the mountain to help mum and dad. So grab some stuff, chainsaw, few tools, whatever. Jump in the ute. And the first sign that I knew I was probably in trouble was, for anyone who knows the area, and this this is going to be a little bit difficult for anyone who's not familiar with it, but uh, there's a place a street called Michigan Drive, which basically takes you from Movie World all the way through to where the Cooma Causeway is. So the big bridge that goes over the Cooma River that always used to, uh, whenever there was floods and stuff like that, that, that bridge would break. But that's the main road that, that you can go up, a, a road called Tamry and Oxenford Road to get up the mountain. And I couldn't even turn left at the end of Michigan Drive because that road was already closed because it had all trees down. So I was like, if that's that bad... Tambo's gonna be horrendous. Yeah, Michigan Drive's pretty protected. Like it's yeah. not a, it, it's never had any issues. No, uh, it's relatively new, so the trees aren't that big. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, if that's that's blocked, I might not be able to make it. But I've got to, I've got to try anyway. So I basically uh, went northbound up towards Coomera and took Reserve Road, which is basically a back road which takes you around to where where I was going, and it meets up uh, over the other side of the causeway. And I've taken Reserve Road, and again, just devastation everywhere. There's trees mm, down. That's the Yeah, trees down. Nothing seriously over the road, so I could still drive through the majority of it without having to, to change lanes or anything like that. There's a few areas where you did sort of have to dodge to the other lane, that sort of thing, but nothing too serious. But I'm still going, if this is that bad, I've no idea what these roads up the mountain are going to be like, because there's two, there's a small hill section, and then it goes into the mountain section and it's all both sides of the roads are all covered in trees mm. so i get through to um where the end of reserve road is there's a shopping center there and you turn right and that's when you start heading up tambourine mount uh tambourine oxenford road and at the first little hill bit it was like honestly I, i've used the the game before as a reference on this on this show but it just felt like fallout in the, in the absolute wasteland. So just to imagine, I'm at the bottom of a hill, which goes for about two kilometers to the top of the hill. Uh, it's fairly straight. There's trees on both sides. It basically looks like a, a bomb has dropped because like Alex was, was describing, at about halfway, the halfway point on most of the trees, it's like the tops have been blown off by an explosion. And those tops were all over the road in front of me. And there was like just leaves and sticks completely covering the road because no one had really tried to go through yet. So I'm, I'm slowly driving up this road, dodging around tree branches and stuff. And then I got just towards the top of it and 
there was enough um, uh, trees down on the road that I couldn't get past. So I got out, had the chainsaw, I pulled some stuff on the road, cut a couple of the big ones, moved them to the side and kept going through. But I'm, all, I'm also at this point going, this is a bad idea. <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is not good. But still thinking, mum said she needs help. So I got to go. So made it through. And once I'd made it through that bit, there were some people already working on trying to clear the other side of that. So I met up with them. There's a few other cars there snaking through, but it's just devastation absolutely everywhere. Like I, I've just, I've, I've, I've seen storm damage before. I've never seen storm damage like this in that area. So snake through until you get to right near the bottom of um, Tambry and Oxenford, which starts going up to a place called Three Lane, which any local would know. And a girl's driving back the other way and she goes, don't bother, turn around, the road's blocked at the top. And I said, well, I've come this far, so I'm just going to go and have a look. So I got up to the top, and fortunately, by the time that I, I actually was able to make it up there, because it probably took me 25 minutes from that spot just to get mm. to the top of three lane, which normally takes, what, five minutes, maybe? Yeah. So by the, by the time I got to the top, fortunately, there was already a whole bunch of work crews, or not work crews, but like uh, community members who were there already starting to try to clear the roads. And it's just, again, same sort of thing. It's not just the trees that you're noticing now. It's all the power lines down. So you've got power lines down, laying all over the roads, drooping down. So you literally... And, and now, yeah, you made the assumption that none of these lines are live because if I don't have power in Helensvale, there's no way that, the, that there's power actually getting to these lines. Yeah. Still a very eerie feeling. And so, well, if you get it wrong, it's quite shocking. <laughs> yeah, so obviously any of the lines that were across the road, you're trying to assess them first. You're trying to see if there's any sparks, if there's anything that's started, you know, any signs of burning around it or anything like that. Um, obviously, if you're inching over it, you're making sure you're only touching it with your tyres, not this, the metal parts of any of the car. Like you're being super careful. But you're sort of, yeah, like just snaking through super slow, going over some, under others just trying to get through and i ended up helping the guys up there to move a few more things before i could get through because it was blocked got through that section after that section between uh the nutshed and eagle, the eagle heights pub um it was relatively clear for a bit until you get to the top of mcdonald which Road. is wild to me because that's like the densest part of yeah like, the most trees are there yeah, yeah. so when you get to the, the top of the hill on McDonald Road, that's when it started getting intense again because all the, there's these giant like fir trees on, on the side of the mountain and they'd all come down. So they were covering over almost both lanes. So there were sections, again, and you're trying to like dodge power lines again. Uh, there's sections where you had to actually drive off onto the grass, onto the side just to get around things. And it, there were people trying to move around a, a fair bit at this point. So um, everyone... I've got to say, mad props to the majority of people who are out on the road at this point in time. I think the only people who were even chancing were, were people who were pretty confident and knew what they were doing because everyone was giving way, helping each other. It was awesome. Absolutely yeah. awesome. So anyway, it's mainly like that all the way through. And then I finally get to mum and dad's place. Unfortunately, by the time I get there, they're, they're completely fine. Um, but they have had some large branches from gum trees actually come down on the roof. So the roof's like covered in in pretty like basically tree sized branches because they're from mm. massive like two hundred year old trees, uh, and I helped uh, get up on the roof with dad and like chainsawing stuff off and and getting rid of it. But they were they were fine. But it was only at that point that I sort of could go oh, like and calm down yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. because you got to think like 
in this day and age when we've got mobile phones, GPS, like you get so reliant on technology, it was the eeriest feeling ever, especially that first section on Tambourine Oxenford Road where I'm like, I'm literally on my own here. And if anything goes wrong, nobody is coming to save me. Do you know, do you know the only thing that gives me solace in those moments though? What? Well, we've done it before. Like I just go, oh, it's 1994 again. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I always, because you, I get that feeling too. You're like, wow, this is crazy. How did, but then I just think, oh, we did this. We That's do right. this all the time. Yep. So it, it, it's, it is just a normal thing. Yeah. But, yeah. Do you know, it's funny what you just mentioned because it's very similar to a movie that was uh, co-produced by the Obamas. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Minus I, the weather. Yeah. Uh, but a cyber, like an outage. And now they're not going to have power for weeks. Yeah. Up there. Something like 800 power poles are down. Yeah. And apparently all the electric infrastructure on Tambourine Mountain needs to be rebuilt. Yeah. It's so bad it can't be reconnected. It's got to be rebuilt. Yeah. But something you mentioned there that I want want to touch on, and then I guess we could move on to the next subject, but I think there's some lessons to be learned. Well, no. First, we need to talk about the warnings. So our episode last week... We talked about the ridiculousness of sh- of having warning after warning after warning after warning for every single day, yeah. except the day that had the storm. Except the day that mattered. Now, why I don't cop, why I think this is really bad, is that anyone that was watching Bomb knew it was coming. Yeah. So it's not like the sensors failed. No. You know what I mean? The information was clearly there that anyone, and I know it was Christmas Day, but certain things still operate. And the the, the ultimate kick in the guts for all of us, and I don't know if you received it, I think you did, nope. was, okay, Nothing. I got a text message the next day. I can read it to you. Um, from, from the government uh, saying this. So on, here we, where are we? So yeah, at 9.45am the next day, now this may have just been when I got reception, Scenic Rim LDMG uh, advice, severe storms have occurred in your area. Please stay away from fallen power lines, avoid damaged roads, emergency services are working towards accessing affected areas, blah, blah, blah. And then later that day, about three hours later... City of Gold Coast, storm recovery, warning. Severe storms have occurred in your area. Please stay away from fallen power lines, blah, 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 blah. So they were able to send out these warnings after the storm happened. And the most frustrating thing about this to me is, yes, it's Christmas Day. So it is the day, it's the one day of the year which you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that people would be on the roads because people go to visit family on Christmas Day. You can also be pretty sure that people aren't really paying attention to bomb.gov.au like they're probably not looking at the radar just in case there's a storm coming people are out enjoying themselves like whatever warning system we are supposed to have completely failed well it's even worse than that because not only did it fail but the media had hyped up everything but yeah yeah so they talked days and days and days ago like, we, we spoke about the show. Everything was red. Red, 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 red. Red, 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 red. For a whole week, red. Yeah. Christmas Day, red. Right? Yeah, Christmas Day was hot. Absolutely. But no storm warning. Yeah. Zero. 
Now, the we're le- warned the about lesson, extreme heat, but not not the storms. The lesson out of this, and this is part of what I think I try to put out there on this show, which is self reliance. Yeah. Like, there, here's another example of where the government systems have failed. That's right. Now they still don't have power on Tambourine Mountain. They went at power for two weeks. Yeah. What countermeasures have you got in place? What measures have you got in place for these things? Now, mm-hmm. I, I'd heard stories today about people that had generators but have never used them because the last time the power was out like eight years ago. Yeah, yeah. So they haven't serviced them, all right? Yep. And I don't want to sound like a prepper, but you should prep. That's right. Um, now, you like a chainsaw was a godsend. Absolutely. It was a life-saving right? tool. Yeah. Um. What's your contingency plan? What mm. is your plan? What it, now? What about um, what about your elderly neighbours? Yeah. Do you have a plan with them mm-hmm. if something happens? Do you have a plan of where you're going to be within your house when when storms happen? Do you know where you're going to be? Yeah. Do you not have you got methods of communication mm. that you can use? Yeah. You know, have you have you have you built something? This now, these things are freak occurrences. I get it, one hundred percent. But like we said, we're used to power outages on Tambourine Mountain. That's Therefore, right. you should have some. Uh, you need to put some time and thought into preparing for these events. Yeah, and it's funny because one of the things I was talking to my parents about uh, yesterday when I'd gone up to help them do more clearing out was how every single her- person. Ha- everyone's home is decked out in all this brand new fangled technology which is absolutely useless when the power's out now so every single thing that everyone's got doesn't actually work as soon as there's no power so you actually need to think about old school things such as you know matches having a lighter having candles like the simple Uh, stuff how about gas stoves Ah, uh, yeah, that the government's trying to get rid of. So the government's trying to get rid of gas stoves and yep. try to replace everything with electricity. That's right. You would not be able to cook or boil water mm-hmm. if, if you had no power. Yep. So, and even just think of the the economics too around, like we're trying to move to obviously solar. So one of the parts of um, my parents' roof that's destroyed is solar panels. So. At what what we were saying before about how they're not going to have power for a few weeks is because they have to rebuild the whole infrastructure, all the transformers, all the lines, all the poles. That all has to be rebuilt. But they're still connected into the grid, which is still generating power now. So as soon as you rebuild those things, the power is okay. If we get reliant on wind and solar and you have a massive uh, weather event like this, where how how long does it take to get your solar panels in to get this your windmills? This is the part in? that doesn't. This is the part that I can't understand, right? I've had pe- smart people, I've had electricians try to explain this to me. Mm-hmm. How the fuck can you have solar panels on your roof? Yeah. But no battery. Why can't you use the power? That's right. Which we've ex- we experienced this week. So we lost power on Christmas night and we only got it back on Friday morning. Um that's only because you've been connected to the main power grid. That's right. But I've but got why, solar you, panels, but, which were generating power, but we couldn't use that power because we didn't have a power source. Yeah. His, so, but, but also, does it does it does that cause problems? So if you have more solar panels up and you have a line that's down, mm-hmm. are the panels still putting current through the cables? See, I don't know. 
I don't no know one if, knows. No. That's my point. Yeah, Nobody that's, knows. That's something worth finding out. One thing I did hear, though, and this is something to be very mindful of as well, is um, Energex was saying that one of the concerns they've got is with everyone running out and getting generators and plugging generators into your house. If you don't have the correct switches and stuff in your house, let's say that the lines are dead around your area, which is why you're using a generator in the first place. Energex checks those lines and goes, yep, those lines are dead. We can work on those areas. But if you don't have the correct switches, your generator will actually push power back onto the network and could electrocute anyone who's working on those lines. See, it's funny because I've thought about... Because I I love the idea of self-sustainability. Yeah. And I I have this design in my head of having a a shed, for example, which is covered in solar panels. Yep. And maybe its own battery, but not on the grid because I don't want to sell it to someone else for no rate. Yep. I want to keep what I produce... Mm -hmm. And I'd even thought of like putting Bitcoin miners in there to use the energy that doesn't get that doesn't get used. And like yep. if, in a time like that, you can switch it off, and then at least you've got a place that you can like you can use that energy yourself. Yeah. But apparently, it's illegal to have solar panels that aren't connected to the grid. Yeah, it's all a rule. Which makes the whole thing. Redundant. It's all a rule. Like it's illegal to not have solar panels which are connected to the grid. And then the solar company pays you a five cent feed in tariff and then sells it to your neighbor for 32 cents. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, th- this and is the thing the that gets me. The government is trying to ban gas. They just yes. said it on Sunrise two days ago because Victoria has done it. Yep. And they said, oh, if this kicks off, then every state's going to do it. They're going to follow suit and do it too. Yeah. Now, here's Resist. The, you cannot do it. Here's the thing if I wanted to get up to help my parents and I had an electric car, was I going to be able to get up there? Well, funny you said it, I have a story. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my friend at Toyota, who had a lovely customer, had come in with his five-month-old Tesla. Right. He lived in Coomera, yep. and he realized that his car is a paperweight when there is no power, yep. and wanted to trade it in for a petrol car so he could have some uh, peace of mind. Mm-hmm. His car had like 5,000 Ks on it, he was trading it in. Yeah, yep, that's now, the reality. It, the counter of that is there are tesla models that you can power your house with i don't know if you can do it in australia because maybe i think this is an american thing i don't know if our setup is different again no one can seem to explain this to me i must be a fucking idiot Mm -hmm. but you can use the power from your car the problem is you can't charge it so let's say you if you run your battery down to 10 percent, yeah then what then what yeah then you're stuck so oh now you can we put a... We've never asked for money before. But I think, I think you deserve some money. <laughs> yeah. So, let, will, you put the, um, will you put the Bitcoin... Um, the Bitcoin uh, address in, in the... The co- Bitcoin address. Yeah, yeah. Jason needs money because Jason <laughs> was being a hero. He went and helped clear the road. He did the... He did the... What a good community member... Very Anne Rand, by the way. That's Randism. That's the aspect of Randism that I like. It's just fix things that benefit you. And if everyone did that, the world is actually a great place. Yep. Self-interest. Don't wait for a system to do it. Mm-hmm. You could When you can just do it yourself, you can get a chainsaw route, you can cut it with yep. with the crew that's there. Yep. Okay, And then you, you all benefit, right? And if everyone does that, then a whole, whole society... That's right. Sold. Many and hands make what, light work. Yeah, and, and what you did was a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. But Jason's car blew up. <laughs> Just after I'd finished helping and I was on my way home. <laughs> yeah, so Jason yeah. is in need of money. We've never asked for money. Um, but any any uh, Bitcoin donation... Now, 
to be fair, anyone that bought Bitcoin when I fucking told them to <laughs> has shitloads left. Right? Yeah. Anyone yeah. is killing it. Um, don't come at me because I've helped. Right? <laughs> I've done my bit for Jason um, by by giving him a car to use. Mm-hmm. But we, he, Jason's got a big bill coming out. He was doing he was doing good work for the community, and uh, therefore sent him some sats. It is it is so typical. Hey, so. Um, yeah, basically just to paint that picture, went up on Boxing Day, which was Tuesday, helped out as best I could, but the local tip was closed because there were trees in front of it. So I went back up again on Thursday. Uh, they had set up like a temporary green waste facility, so I was just trying to get all the green waste out of mum and dad's place. Did two loads of that, dropped it all off. That was all good. Went home. I went, went to their place, had lunch. Everything's all good. And then just driving home, I hear a big pop in my engine bay and I just lost all power from my turbo. And I was able to limp the uh, the truck, which is still currently sitting on the mountain and will probably still be there on the Monday considering it's a long, another long weekend. Uh, yeah, it was, was not ideal. But it's funny though, because when it happened, I laughed. I was like, yeah. of course it's going to happen. Because it's this week. Because literally, any long-term viewer might remember. Uh, yeah, okay, so for audio, so audio viewers, you'll have to find it in a different way. But I have just put up my wallet address. Now, trust me, I'm a car dealer. <laughs> I, will, I will forward it to Jason, who needs it. I will forward it to Jason. But on the screen now, there is a QR code for Bitcoin. So if you've got Bitcoin, and only this address only works... For Bitcoin, yep. if you have other cryptocurrencies that you would like to help Jason, let me know. I'll send the wallet address to you. Reach out to us, reach out to Jason, and we'll get the donations to the Fix Jason's Car Foundation mm-hmm. so he can do more of the community work. To do more but of the it's up there. work. You can scan the QR code. Jason will also put a, an address, probably, he'll probably put his own address in the description. Mm-hmm. Just paste that in if you need any help on how to transfer yell out we're happy to help but jason Thanks, is gang. in need of money and and if you can't at least like share and subscribe yeah do that too and money <laughs> yeah. yeah like about a, at the on christmas day last year our brand new dishwasher shit its pants that night after we just hosted however many people here and had all the plates and dishes and i just remember being so frustrated because it's that like week and a half where everyone's closed you can't get any service and it's all buggered and like alex is saying look Unfortunately, yes, the Ute did the turbo did shit itself, and it could be a big bill, it could be a small bill. I'm not too sure, but it's still going to be a bill to get it towed in the first place. But the other thing is obviously having to wait for it to get fixed. Which, fortunately, I've got a brother. Like everyone needs to get a brother who's got a used car joint because I'd be double stuffed if I didn't have Alex because Alex has actually lent me a spare Ute so I can at least get on the road and go to... Go it's not to a spare Ute. It's one of my stock cars. It's yeah. not spare. <laughs> it's spare for me. So yeah, it keeps yeah, me yeah. on the road. Thank you very much. But um, if, every, if every listener sent five bucks... Sent one Bitcoin. Bitcoin. $5 worth of Bitcoin, that would uh, go... Look, it'll, it would all help. It would all help. Because uh, I've got other damage around the house too. You're going to have to do the full insurance claim thing. My... I'm sweaty as you you can probably see it through your screens. You can probably smell it because fuck that. They're not paying for that. They're not paying for your insurance. Our, our aircon units shit itself. And no, it's been a time. Listeners, do not pay for Jason's insurance job. This is what all I care about me. is the car. No, I don't like this, right? Because heaps of people do it. Uh, we need to raise money for blah 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 because this storm has done this to them. Insurance money covers. They don't need the money, all right? 
yeah, have yeah, insurance. Yeah. Insurance can pay for it. I'm not worried it, about the insurance. What you do need is money for the blown turbo yeah. on the work truck. Yeah. That's what you need money for because that's what's not covered. Right? Mm-hmm. It gave great content. How how long are we in? Forty minutes into the podcast. Excellent content. He did <laughs> excellent work. He used all this fuel for not just in the car, but in the chainsaw or yeah. whatever accoutrement you use. Um, <laughs> so send SAS to the Jason needs a new turbo for his work truck foundation. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Um, yeah. Just to wrap things up on that note too, we have just had severe weather warnings for this weekend as well. Have you tomorrow. seen those? Tomorrow, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, talking yeah. about tomorrow. So before this oh, comes... Can I, can I say this too, which is the funny... So your experience with mum and dad was one of he, uh, heroicness uh, and and like being a, a cavalier human being. Mm-hmm. Mine was getting a text saying, hey, can you get us some accommodation in Brisbane for the next two days? So I booked him an Airbnb, mm-hmm. which I just took them to in Brisbane and we swam in the pool for an hour. <laughs> I feel great. Well, it's funny because when we were sitting down having lunch, um, dad's like, oh, thanks so much for coming up and, and you know doing all the hard work and stuff. Really appreciate it. Uh, he's like, oh, it's, obviously we called you because you've got like the ute and stuff. And I said, no, no, I get it. You call me when you've got hard work to do. You call Alex when you need money. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, well, I took me out for lunch. We went to uh, yeah, Little Bay Root, Lebanese. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, speaking of value, because we have tried to give you guys value every episode. Uh, we have actually dug up a little bit more information on some of these uh, vaccine-related adverse events. Now, one of the things that I tried to explain a little while ago was about um, the like SV40 cancer promoter and the DNA plasmids that are contaminated in the vaccine vials. But this clip's about five minutes long. Um, it was from Dystopian Down Under, Rebecca, Rebecca Barnett is her name. And it's like a five minute clip, which probably sums up as accurately as you're gonna get all the bits and pieces you need to know about that, how it happened and, and more specifically, what they're seeing and who has actually confirmed this around the world as well. So let's just... Earlier this year, there's a scientist called Kevin McKernan. I have 25 years of experience in the genomic space. Uh, I've worked as a team leader of R&D at the Human Genome Project at Whitehead and MIT, and I have over 57,000 citations to publications uh, in my space and multiple patents on, on PCR and sequencing. He was running an experiment and he needed a control and he just yanked a couple of vials of the mRNAs, the Pfizer and Moderna. He discovered DNA fragmentation in these vials that's not supposed to be there. And to my shock, discovered that the expression vectors for the vaccines are still in the vials i just want to apologize to listeners it is a bad cut you can see that they've chopped out the dead space yeah yeah and i, I i'm a, i'm big on communication so this kind of stuff fries my brain so right. i apologize so essentially they're contaminated and sure enough around the world over the months bit by bit people started replicating his findings there's lots of studies now coming out about the this floating dna we sind in einem privatlabor in magdeburg Professorin Brigitte König untersucht hier Corona-Impfstoffe. Das Ergebnis, alle Proben sind verunreinigt. Mit Fremd-DNA. In every laboratory in the world that's tested the bio so far, they're all contaminated with DNA. My name is Philip Buckholz. I have a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology. And he just testified in the South Carolina Senate to say that he's confirmed uh, Kevin McKernan's findings. The people in my laboratory were really good at detecting foreign pieces of DNA in places where they're not supposed to be. We know that Pfizer, when they ran their randomized control trial, they used one particular process 
for manufacturing the mRNA that goes into the vaccine in the end, and it's a very clean process. There was no plasma DNA to contaminate the stuff that was used for the trial. But that, that making that PCR product doesn't scale the way that was necessary to vaccinate the whole world. Now, out of nearly 44,000 participants, only 252 participants received the vaccine that was manufactured by what's called the scale-up process. So a cheaper way to scale up the production of this template is to clone that PCR product into this plasmid vector, put the plasmid vector into bacteria, and then you can grow up big vats of the bacteria. They make a lot of the plasmid DNA for you. Then you use that plasmid DNA as the template to drive this transcription reaction. What it looks like is that the DNA cleaning process wasn't satisfactory. Now we're seeing that instead of it getting cleaned out as we were told the way the product's supposed to be made, we have all this residual DNA. The pieces are very small because during the process, they chopped them up to try to make them go away, but they actually increased the hazard of genome modification in the process. And that's where how the contamination ended up in the production batches, even though it was not in the stuff that was used for the authorization trials. The current regulatory limits for DNA fragmentation or DNA, residual DNA in vaccines is for naked DNA, not DNA wrapped in lipid nanoparticles. Naked DNA gets chewed up immediately upon vaccination and there's no real mechanism for it to get inside the cells. They inappropriately applied that regulatory limit to this new kind of vaccine where everything is encapsulated in this lipid nanoparticle. It's basically packaged in a synthetic virus able to dump its contents into a cell. Then it looks as though the regulators have not accounted for a lipid nanoparticle casing around the contamination. We do this in the lab all the time. We take pieces of DNA, we mix them up with a, a lipid complex like the Pfizer uh, vaccine is in. We pour it onto cells and and a lot of it gets into the cells and a lot of it gets into the DNA of those cells and it becomes a permanent fixture of the cell. It's not just a temporary thing. It is in that cell and all of its progeny from now on forevermore. Amen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's even beyond reckless what we're what we're seeing. This is the risk of moving at the speed of science. Right. Uh, that you're you know, that you're playing willy nilly and loose with this risk of human DNA integration. But it's pretty reasonable based on solid molecular biology that it could cause a sustained autoimmune tack toward that tissue. It's also a very real theoretical risk of future cancer in some people. It could be causing some of the rare but serious side effects like death from cardiac arrest. There's a lot of cases now of people having suspicious death after vaccine. What we see a lot with the bureaucratic responses, there's no evidence of that. But the question is, well, have you tested for it? And I think that the answer is no somebody should go about sequencing DNA samples from stem cells of people who are vaccinated and find out if this theoretical risk has happened. So that's the end of the clip. Mm. So have you got that? Does that make sense to you? Dirty tubs. Dirty tubs. So let, let me try to step it out in the plainest way that I possibly can, uh, just to try to spell it out. So to start from the beginning, uh, what she, she says, and this is true, and this we've covered this before, the production process used to um, manufacture the vaccines used in the original clinical trial, or the vast majority of them, minus 200 rough people that she mentioned that got the second production method, was completely different to the scaled up version for the mass production to vaccinate the world because you could not produce enough vaccines in the initial method 
to vaccinate the entire population. So when we went through the Pfizer phase three uh, trial data, TGA non-clinical report, and we brought up the fact that there were no carcinogenicity studies done on it. If you actually look at the production method for that particular, uh, those vaccines, there's probably no real reason to do carcinogenicity on them because there was nothing in those vaccines which could have caused cancer in the first place. So it actually kind of makes sense in hindsight to not do carcinogenicity testing on that. However, with the uh, mass production shift that they made, that's when they used the SV40, so the simian virus 40, um, as the basically the bedrock to then grow these large vats of uh, the mRNA vaccines. And that was like, and that's got... So that's got the, the DNA plasmids in it that they're talking about with the contamination. And that's all supposed to be filtered out before these things get sent out to be injected into people's arms. Now, it's pretty clear based on the amount of scientists that they've had data from all around the world who've now tested these vials, every single one of these vials is contaminated with some level of DNA plasmids. Now, there's multiple issues with this. And to explain what they're saying about... so. The regulators have thresholds for DNA contamination because obviously no extraction method is completely perfect. However, the standards are based on a thing called naked DNA, which literally as soon as that gets into your body, your immune system destroys it almost straight away. And mRNA would have been the exact same, uh, would have had the exact same result if it was naked mRNA in the vaccines. But don't forget, they're encapsulated in a lipid nanoparticle. And the lipid nanoparticle is like a fatty capsule, which is designed to protect it so it can be delivered around the body into your cells uh, for lo- and, and survive for long enough to actually encode into your body cells how to produce a spike protein. The problem is now you've got fragmented different length strands of DNA also encapsulated in, li- in lipid nanoparticles able to not only get into your body cells, but being DNA, not RNA, can actually integrate into your genome. And as um, I think it was Kevin McKeon and one of the scientists said there, that becomes part of that cell forevermore, including its any progeny that it, it, it creates from itself. Right. So we literally could be experiencing a, a, an essentially a mass DNA poisoning with, <laughs> di- with different DNA being integrated into your own genome which is something they specifically said could not happen right from the beginning. And they were probably correct based off the first production method. But they which never told anyone... Which means they'll get away with it. Well, maybe the regulators can kind of get away with it by saying, oh, yeah, we approved based on the first production method. But at the end of the day, they should have done their own additional testing on the scaled-up production method, which they haven't done. But who's there to hold the regulator to account? No one. There's no one. going to. But that, like, there's no function. It's not even built to do it, you yeah. know. So, so it, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, we've we've said this a, a bunch of times on here. And in the very early days, we didn't know. Yeah, right. We didn't. We didn't know what the bad things were, but we knew they didn't know that it was good. That's right. We knew that. That's the part that we knew. Yeah. Hence the reason for our skepticism. You know, skepticism. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it's really hard to have a conversation with people about this. It's so 
it's so tricky. Yeah. I did hear an interesting take, though. I, mean, I mentioned it to you during the week. I, mm. I don't know if it's worth me mentioning it now, but if... Okay, I'm putting conspiracy hat on, right? Yep. Conspiracy hat. Conspiracy corner, conspiracy hat. Not my words. These are ones that I'm repeating, okay? Mm-hmm. If this was all about reducing the population... Mm-hmm. You know, some of these elites, Bill Gates himself has said that we should have less people around. And And there's that famous clip, which we have played on the show about, where he literally says at a TED Talk, if we do a good job with things like vaccination, we should be able to reduce the population by about 15%. Yep, yep. Now, what this guy had said was, well, if if I was a diabolical puppet master and I wanted to reduce the population... I don't want a population full of wolves. I want a population full of sheep. Yeah. So is it a good strategy to put a piss-poor disease out there, being COVID-19, mm-hmm. that doesn't really kill that many people, and give a vaccine, and then make make the vaccine almost worse than the thing that you're supposed to protect you by, mm-hmm. right? Take out, uh, take out some... Thin some the herd. The, thin the herd. Then you've created the wolves as ultimate skeptics, yep. and the, the the likelihood of them uh, getting a new vaccine is very low. Yep. For the next thing, mm-hmm. well, what if the next things are at a polio level, yeah, or a smallpox level of death, and then you've got all these red pillars going, nah, nah I would never do it, never do it, never do it. Well, then that's the one that would actually take out a large percentage of the, the, the wolves yeah. and leave the easily manipulated. Yeah, look, I I think that the theory itself has some legs. And he again, we've got tinfoil hats on. I had I had friends who were super red-pilled right from the beginning of the pandemic who were convinced the entire thing was created around depopulation. And I didn't believe it. Because in my opinion, the entire thing was created around money. And I still haven't really wavered off that opinion yet because so much money has been made not only off the vaccines, but off investments in certain companies which profited directly from the pandemic. Um, But also now this suite of, and as we covered on the show last week, Pfizer buying a an oncology company. So now they can treat all the turbo cancers that they've, that probably just caused because of their vaccines. So I'm still convinced it's primarily about money. But if I put my, again, my tinfoil hat on, and went down the depopulation uh, thing, you're exactly right. It makes no sense for the elites to try to depopulate the world of sheep because they want the sheep who do what they're told, who will just go to work, be worker drones like the Matrix, be batteries in the system. Um, so you're right. The theory there that you you do a little thing like you COVID. You pump fake it. Yeah. And then the next thing that you release after that is the more deadly thing that if you don't get vaccinated, you'll actually die from. That's a real theory. Now, it's funny that you say that too, because I had already, I I think I even was considering bringing it up on the show months ago when they were starting to talk about new viruses like MERS, um, Marburg was the next one that they were talking about as well. And one of the things I wanted to throw out there was we need to approach those viruses in the exact same way that we approached COVID initially. First off, err on the side of caution. 
Yeah, like, yeah. don't just pretend that anything that's released is going to be just like COVID because you're right, it could very well not be. And one of the things that we've always argued about with our argument against universal vaccination was that every single person's body and makeup is different. So just because it may not affect other people, it may actually affect you. So we do need to be able to keep relatively safe, sit tight and try to pay attention to see what the data is telling us around that time. And let doctors do their individualised care yeah. system, which, is, which has been pretty successful. Yeah. Now, following on from, from the theory that it's not your words, it is, it is your friend's words, uh, do they even release COVID? Was COVID even a disease? Because if you want to do things like you know, PCR testing is what we use to diagnose people with a COVID infection. Remember, we had no flu for two years, but we also had all these COVID cases. Also remember that the province of Alberta in early days, a businessman sued yep. the government and said, show me the sequence difference between cold and flu. And they went, nah, don't worry yeah, about we, it. We, we don't have do it. it. Yeah, yeah, so Alberta just didn't have them and no one talked about it ever again. Yeah. Um, so that, look, but, but there was a massive misinformation sales campaign that went out, which convinced oh, yeah, people to be scared. And remember right back, and I think we even mentioned this last week as well. Is there a light that you can turn on in your, in your room? You look, like a, you look like a hostage victim. Yeah, <laughs> give me one second. You keep talking. It, 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 is, it is a... I'd like to think... I'd like Jason to hear this, but I would actually like to think that we aren't just going to necessarily naysay anything that happens because we we did a lot of research first yes and the re our research led us to go they don't know so like hey let's wait and see that's right now and then the deeper you look into it you're like oh this part's bullshit oh that part's bullshit oh, yeah that and bullshit. but it gets worse too right because we've covered on the show before as well that it wasn't covid that killed people in 2020 it was the covid treatment protocols that killed people yeah. in 2020 it was Strapping, uh, putting people in induced coma, strapping up to a ventilator and hooking them up to remdesivir, which has a 33% death rate. Is that is that the Australian protocol that if you are unvaccinated with COVID, they can put you on remdesivir? Yeah, so that's something else which came out, which um, Jared Rennick shared recently. The actual COVID treatment protocol specific in Australia specifically recommended that the only people you were actually putting on remdesivir were unvaccinated people. So if remdesivir's got a 33% hit rate and you're only giving it to the unvaccinated people, well, that would have boosted up their unvaccinated death rate by 33% from an early stage. But what are they going to say? What's play, play devil's advocate. What what possible reason could they give that would make you feel like that's okay? I, I honestly can't think of one because then you look at what happened in the, new, in the UK with the NHS and how they um, recommended using midazolam and some other opiate which taken together... Uh, they know suppresses respiratory function, but specifically to treat COVID, that was the protocol that was suggested. And even people questioned it at the time. And you can see um, uh, Majid Nawaz, the, uh, the journalist, he had a, um, a graphic up on his social media, which I'm sure it's been pulled down by now, but there was a clear correlation. He had graphs and it showed the rise in prescriptions of midazolam and the other opioid drug literally coinciding slightly um shortly after that was with the massive um rise in deaths from covid so it was it was actually a protocol thing that was killing people it wasn't even the disease itself yeah, ventilators so, drowning people yep so 
again, with your tinfoil hat on, if you were like, okay, well, we don't even need to release a virus. You just release the marketing campaign. You kill people in hospitals. You scare the shit out of everyone. And then that actually justifies you bringing out the vaccine. And you're right. Maybe they do have Marburg sitting in a lab out the back somewhere. And that is the next thing that will get released. And we'll get the exact same marketing campaign, but a giant percentage of the red pillars or alpha dogs or wolves or whatever you want to call them will just reject it completely out of hand and that could actually you know be the right thing to do at that particular time so that's why you have to assess every single individual's um experience on its merits and it's funny that it's just made me thought think too one of the lessons that i learned this week is not everyone is equipped to handle a crisis they're, yeah. they're really not yeah. and my experience with dealing with various people within the last week like some people just do not have an ability to reprioritize based on urgency and what's actually happening in the world they've still just got this blanket thing that they that they their normal go to in a situation would be x so i need to do that and it's like well no because you've got an emergency that's literally happening and you need to think about X, Y, and Z and what's going to happen if this happens, what's going to happen if this happens, what's going to happen if, if this happens. And I, yeah, I, I found a lot of people sorely lacking in their ability to reprioritize during a crisis, which also extrapolates out to things such as COVID. We saw exactly that during COVID because the amount of people who made completely irrational decisions during COVID, even just for example, like forget the vaccines. What about fist fighting over toilet paper? Like, yeah. remember those yeah. days? Yeah. That's a pretty yeah. irrational thing. It, chances are you would get more severely injured from a fist fight than you would from the disease. Yeah, uh, you probably get uh, like more banged up from a fist fight than you would from being on a uh, ventilator. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Yeah. But but that's the thing, like. Um, it's so important to keep you cool and stay rational when a, when a crisis occurs because if you don't, number one, you're very easy to control because as soon as your emotions are put up, as soon as a, an authority figure steps in and says, hey, do this, like, you know, we're the government, we're here to help, they, like, you're very easy to control, very easy for them to just, whatever narrative they want to push for whatever reason it might be, you know, it's very easy to convince yeah. you. If you've built a life that you have to accept what comes across, you can't be surprised. Yeah. And that's why, yeah, this storm, the big message that I got out of the storm is like, prepare. Yeah, but it's even preparing in other things too. It's not just generators, um, equipment, everything like that. It's preparing mentally and asking, yeah. being honest with yourself. Like I've always, and I don't know where it comes from, it's probably from growing up on 90s media where every movie I watch like Die Hard or Predator or... Um, Van Damme movies was always about some white dude generally who got thrown into a terrible situation against insurmountable odds but through sheer will and determination gritted through and saved the day at the end and maybe it was because I grew up on that sort of media where I've always had the thought in the back of my mind that I want to be the guy that when there is a crisis when the chips are down I can I can handle myself in that situation and I can help people in that situation. I wanted to be the person that people turn to for help when this stuff happens. And that's, a, but that's a mental thing that you need to actually go, okay, if I want to be that, well, what do I need to do to be that person? Yeah. For a start, you need to be physically fit. 
Now, I might be physically fat at the moment because I'm not in the best shape because I probably eat too much food. I can cut that down. But physically, I'm very fit. I work eight-hour days doing a very physical job so I can handle long periods of intense work and labor. And, you know, if you're like, for example, trying to get up the mountain, pulling trees off the road, like that's hard work. If you don't know how to do that, you're not going to be any help in in that sort of crisis. But also knowing that you are capable of those things means you can have the confidence to make the decisions that you need to make during that time um, to better your situation. But you have to be able to take action as well. Like there's a lot of stuff that flows into it, but especially mentally, you've got to get your mindset right. So have a have a self reflection and go, hey, I don't live on the Gold Coast. Fortunately, it'd be real shit if to you know to be in that situation. But what would I be like if that situation actually occurred? Would I be useful or useless? I think that's a really, really, really good piece of advice. And I'd also say in long-term stuff, if you're building a forever house, put gas in it. Yeah. Have a place that you can store food. I've cooked on the barbecue twice this week with no power because I've got gas. Here's another good one for you. Have, and I get this from Whitney Webb, have offline information on a on a home server or, or a hard yep. drive somewhere manuals how-to videos yeah have some stuff that you can access once you've got power back but you might not have the internet yeah don't forget they've told us there's a big cyber attack coming they've told us that that's right Obama's have made a movie about it it's coming you know even simple things so before it i went up the mountain much on... to be prepared yeah um, like before I went up the mountain on Boxing Day, I'm like, okay, I've got no phone reception. And Amanda had um, left her phone at my parents' place. Now I'm like, okay, Amanda's mother's got power now. She might not have power the whole time. If she needs to contact me, how's she going to do that? Hey, here's a pen and paper. Here's my mobile number. I wrote yeah, it yeah, down yeah, yeah. on a yeah. piece of paper and gave it to yeah. her. So, because I know her number off by heart because we have to use it as the kindy sign in. Yeah. So I know it. But I'm like, you know simple old school shit like write stuff down because we can't just be reliant on devices and technology all the time the cloud we're so reliant on the cloud we put everything on the cloud but when you don't have access to the cloud then what now the here's my next question where do we go from here in regards to messaging and narratives from government so in my head i my my because i'm a cynic my first thought is the government goes see We've been telling you that because of climate change that there's going to be more severe weather systems. So we need to like knuckle down on this green energy revolution. But at the same time, I also put those solar panels on roofs that don't work because they're all smashed up. But I also feel like that's that the sort of double speak that we experienced with the vaccines when we had, you know, people who'd taken the initial two doses. You had to tell those people that those doses didn't work, so you need to take another one. You had to convince the people who'd taken none of the doses that they do work, so they take the initial two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing when you go... When the government keeps saying, because of climate change, we are going to have more severe um, and unpredictable weather. So, to fix that, we're going to rely on the weather for our power with solar and wind. Again, it's nonsense. It makes no sense. Imagine what wind turbines would look like in a tornado. Tornado. Well, they'd basically be bent in half and probably caught on fire. But what Alex said uh, earlier, again, it's the most important thing. He says this all the time. The government doesn't know. They're not going to help you. They ain't your daddy. In the time of the crisis. So everyone, and I, I spoke to a few people on the mountain, 
everyone had the shits with the authorities no warnings and no help when the things happened everyone's gone off about it i'm reading community pages and all that sort of stuff people going off about no warnings and no help from the council or whatever when it when it happened it was all the community getting out and actually getting all this stuff all the initial work was done essentially by members of the community then you've got energetics going through and those sorts of specialized guys as well but the initial important shit when the chips were down was all done by community members so it means don't rely a hero is not coming to save you you have but you to can be all be hero. heroes you can all be heroes yeah and uh, the, there's no better example of a coherent society than what what was what was exemplified on tambourine mountain exactly everyone got in there and and got it going but those like mum said she went to the, the town hall meeting yeah yeah and they just were just whinging and it was like just over and over and over again they just wanted to hear better news but they knew that like there's That's nothing's right. going to turn the power on for them when every single one of their power lines is on the ground that's right and you know I mean? but people just wanted to vent and they're like oh is the mayor coming up like i'll give him a piece of my mind it's like what the fuck's the mayor gonna do he doesn't know yeah he's just taking the but, advice but also, from whatever the experts are and trying to tell you guys what it is just what you said venting is an emotional response yeah it's useless it just makes whereas, a bad situation worse correct whereas if you're practical and you said okay well what's the action plan what are we actually going to do yeah i don't know why they haven't um set up the Kanungra army barracks as as dongers mm. for people that have no um roofs over there yeah well it's set up for it it's a training facility for the military yeah that's right yeah open it up yeah i'm a big fan of venting after the problem's over you can vent yeah, for then. sure when the problem's yeah, yeah. at hand you got to stay calm and stay rational yeah. and, and actually work things through can you just bring up before we finish off there's that one last resource that i wanted to go it's gonna wash my face out because it's very bright yeah fair enough so i didn't think that we were actually doing this but uh we are actually doing some long-term follow-up so there's a paper that was just published um was actually published on the 11th of september 2023 and it's called long-term follow-up and outcomes of covid19 vaccine associated myocarditis in victoria australia a clinical surveillance study and it's got all the authors there but if you just scroll down to the abstract so background myocarditis and myopericarditis heart inflammation essentially for any of you who don't who are unaware are well-described adverse events of special interest following COVID-19 vaccinations. Although reports are reassuring regarding initial clinical outcomes, information about longer-term outcomes remains limited. We aim to further this knowledge and report outcomes to six months post-diagnosis from a single population cohort. Methods. Reports of myocarditis following COVID-19 vaccination were followed up by SAFE-VIC, which stands for Surveillance of Adverse Events Following Vaccination in the Community, the statewide vaccine safety service for Victoria, Australia. Confirmed myocarditis cases, uh, Brighton collaboration criteria levels one to three, were followed up via surveys at one, three, and six months post-symptom onset. Responses between 22nd of February 2021 and the 30th of September 2022 were analysed. Results. 87.5%, so the number of, uh, total number was 182, of eligible participants completed at least one survey report. 377 reports were analyzed so it is a small sample size just be aware of that but the numbers are significant 76.9 percent of completed reports were from male patients the median age of patients was 21 years Uh, 54.8 percent of survey reports at six months reported ongoing symptoms so this study only followed people for six months 
And at the six-month mark, 54.8% of people said they were still experiencing ongoing symptoms. At all follow-up time points, females were significantly more likely to have ongoing symptoms. At six months, 51.9% of male respondents reported symptom resolution, compared to 22.6% of female patients. Females were also more likely to continue medication and have ongoing exercise restrictions. However, males were significantly more likely to have higher initial peak troponin results and abnormal initial cardiac imaging investigations. Now, we know this troponin level thing from that Swiss study done on the nurses. Yes. Conclusions. There appears to be a significant proportion of patients who experience ongoing symptoms to six months post-onset amongst patients that experience these adverse events of special interest. Male patients were more likely to report earlier and more complete symptom recovery, despite significantly higher average initial peak troponin. This difference in phenotypic presentation in females compared to males warrants further investigation, and there is a need for longer-term follow-up data. Now, as a man, I have to say, I'm probably more likely to lie about it after six months as well and say, yeah, no, I'm all good. So I can go back to doing the things that I was going to do beforehand anyway. But... The key finding of this is this is in complete... Interesting that it was sponsored by... This work was funded by the Victorian Department of Health as part of the Public Health Vaccine Safety Surveillance Monitoring. Yeah, so I didn't even know if we were doing anything like this in Australia, but but they actually have, and I was super surprised about it. But yeah, so what what I was saying before is this is completely contradictory to what we have heard from all of the health authorities, especially John Skerritt from the TGA, who basically said, yeah, there's cases of myocarditis, but they're all transient and they usually um, they usually sort themselves out within a few days. More than half of the people that responded to these surveys were still reporting symptoms after six months. And as we've said on the show before, um, if you go on like the CDC website in America and you look up myocarditis, the, the standard outcomes for myocarditis are not good. It's got like a, I think it's, what is it, 20%... Um, fatality rate within the first 12 months and actually goes up to 50% of people either die or have to get a heart transplant within five years. Hmm. Now, we started the vaccine rollout in early 2021. We're only almost three years into this thing. And you've got to think too, uh, for the first three to four months, we're mainly, uh, we're mainly vaccinating older people. So you're primarily going to notice these heart condition issues with younger people because like I've said before, I think that it's, it's just potluck as to where the mRNA ends up in your body. If it ends up in your heart and you get the myocarditis, you notice it more in younger people because we're more physically active. So they're more likely to actually experience um, some sort of heart pain or something like that because they'll get the myocarditis and they'll, they'll exercise and they'll actually have that symptom onset. Whereas for a lot of people who are older, more sedentary, they might have myocarditis, not even really notice it because they don't move around a lot anyway. Yeah. Um, so if you've only started vaccinating younger people at about mid-2021, that means you're only two and a half years into this. And the five-year prognosis is that 50% of people have heart failure after five years. So what's this going to look like in two and a half more years? We'll see. I mean, yeah, it's fucking scary, man. Yeah, yeah. So if you are one of the people who listens to the show who, due to the studious information that we have supplied to you, chose to forego your vaccinations and still has the ability to work, please send me some Bitcoin to pay for my yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
have All you right. got you got anything else to add no nah. that's it on that note guys look stay safe we do, I, I'm already feeling the humidity coming I think the reason why the uh, lights dropped so much is because this another storm's on its way no I've just checked the bomb there's nothing coming all right, we'll get some rain down here, but good luck this weekend. Hopefully everyone's all good, uh, especially with the big storm due for Saturday. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.